So I suppose I should probably start this uh, podcast off with an apology to you, Mr. Keith, and uh, Andrew, the producer. Uh, I texted you guys at 1.42 in the morning a couple nights ago, and uh, I, I apologize. I did not realize what time it was, and by the text response I got the following morning, I take it neither of you were too happy about that. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay, man, it's all right. But, yeah, I actually woke up, which I normally don't mm-hmm. wake up for – um, you know, any sort of text or anything. For whatever reason, it just hit me at that point, and I woke up, and I, and you know that mid sleep panic where I'm like, oh my god, I must have <laughs> slept through the alarm, and my guys at work are texting me, going, where am I at, or something. <laughs> yeah, I've had that actually happen to me once. Okay, well, so it wasn't that, but then I, it took me a few minutes to get back to bed. But sorry, <laughs> how do you not know it's one forty-two in the morning? I'm up late, and sometimes when I I see messages, I think, well, I should respond before I forget. Mm. And then it's one of those, I'll send it, and I'm like, uh, oh, oops. Well, uh, <laughs> the message he's actually referring to here, listeners, is we were talking about what we were going to do for episode 32. And <laughs> uh, as those who listen to the podcast and have been with us since day one, we you know that we kind of play with numbers sometimes. And John and I were discussing it the other day. You know, what is the importance of 32 in the automotive world? And I'm just going to go right out of the bag with it, and I'm going to say that 32, 1932, was the introduction of the first mass-produced V8 engine, which is the Ford Flathead V8 engine, but that is not the first V8 engine. No, I, I was going back and looking up some of the history of the V8. I didn't realize it goes all the way back to 1902. It does. And so before we get into that, though, um, we need to let our listeners know that this episode, we really want to kind of talk about um, the most historically important V8 engines, at least to the off-road world, mm. because there, there are some that maybe aren't really, they don't really cross over, but yeah. uh, we want to talk about the most historically significant uh, V8 engines of all time. Uh, in episode 32, but of course we are paying homage to the Ford Flathead being the first um, V8 that most people could afford to buy uh, in 1932. So anyways, uh, you good with that, John? You want to roll with that today? Sounds good to me. It's time to hit the trail, lock in those hubs, and throw it into low range. Because you are listening to Wheel It with Keith and Johnny Orange. Broadcasting from the Thin Line Off-Road Studio, they're here to talk about 4x4s, trucks, and everything to do with enjoying the great outdoors. Buckle up, here's your hosts, Keith and Johnny Orange. Before we get into that, John, um, uh, into our topic for today... I was thinking that uh, maybe we could do a little bit of 4x4 news, and on top of that, I know we've got a couple of corrections that we need to address. Did I mess up again? No, actually, it was me this time. It (laughs) was me this time, Um, and it usually is me. Uh, I think I talk too much. Uh, Eh. Anyways, um, I said on our last podcast, which was um, the one where we talked about sleds and Christmas stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. That my mom, Diane Codette, was the first female voice we've had on the podcast. That's incorrect. I got thinking about that today. Uh, you interviewed a number of females uh, at Wheels oh, in the Woods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't remember, without going back and listening to that episode again, who the very first was. But I guess my mom she was, was... first in studio. First in studio. Yeah, there you go. There exactly. Go. Um, the other thing with that, uh, you know, it's not really... Not corrections or anything... But um, I want to do a little bit of a shout-out here. Okay. With that last episode, um, uh, Mr. Mark Garrett, who uh, loans us the Eagle at the museum, mm-hmm. listened to the episode, loved the episode. He's actually planning on coming to the Christmas walk this year. Very cool. And he had to let us know what that movie was that I was thinking about that neither of you and I could figure it out. Oh. We, we figured it out during the after show, mm-hmm. but Citizen Kane. Right, right, right. So for our listeners who are not on the Patreon uh, show, The End of the Trail, you don't listen there, uh, you'll remember in episode 31, we were trying to figure out what famous movie Rosebud the Sled was from, and that was Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. He did mention, though, that you were also kind of right when he emailed me 
um, because you were saying it's a wonderful life, mm-hmm. and apparently there's an opening scene with some sleds. Uh, oh yeah, in it's a wonderful life. So I thought that was a shovel. Oh man, no! Are we gonna just wasn't are it we a gonna... shovel they were riding down the hill, and that's what caused him to go in the water? A sh- Wait, what? I thought there were, I don't rem- I remember shovel for some reason. Ignore oh, me. Ignore now me. we're going to be in like episode three, <laughs> still talking about this whole history of Christmas sledding stuff. But whatever. Okay. Anywho, um, back to our topic at point. John, you did a bunch of research. You were saying about the V8s and the historically important ones. I went through some of it. I I was trying to get some of my stuff organized. I kept having some computer problems, so I made it through most of the history up to about the 1932 Ford engine. All right. All right. So. Start us off here. I'm going to say, and I don't even have my computer in front of me. I don't have my mm-hmm. notes in front of me. Anything today it got stolen by my daughter because she's got homework, as you know. Um, I know that the V8 engine actually started out in aviation around yes. the turn of the century, um, but I don't know who it was. I know I've actually seen one of the very first V8 engines up in the. Well, former Alaska land. I forgot what it's called now. I think it's called Frontier Town in um, Fairbanks, Alaska. Okay. They have one of the very first V8 engines on display. Nice. Um, But I forgot who made it. Well, so the original ones start back with uh, speedboats and aircraft is what all the first ones started around as. I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly. This is 1902. It was a French guy. Uh, Leon Levasseur. Some, oh, okay. Something uh, yeah, to that I effect. Don't, I'm going to just take your word We're on gonna it. We're going to call him Leon L. <laughs> okay, so so Mr. Well, how about Mr. Leon? Okay, there we go. Um, so Mr. Leon developed a, a V8 engine yep, for what light purpose? Light power V8 engine. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It was installed in competition speedboats and early planes, so early aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, that was he developed it in 1902. Started installing them in 1904. And there's an aviation guy by the name of, again, I'm going to try and pronounce it. We'll just call him Alberto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he saw one of the speedboats and put it in one of his planes. So the early edition engine, it was 24 horsepower. Came in A at whole 24 horsepower? 24 horsepower. Okay. 121 pounds. Uh, obviously, it was underpowered for some of the bigger planes. So this guy redesigned it. Uh, changed the bore and the stroke, was able to get to 50 horsepower, and it only upped the weight to 190 pounds, including the water to cool it. A lot of those very early ones used aluminum castings, too, I believe, for um, cylinder heads and cylinder sleeves. I believe so. I, yeah. I There was a lot of technical information on a lot of these, and we'd be here all day if we well, wanted to that's, Yeah, that. that's the thing. You know, we can't talk about every V8 that's ever been produced. No, no. We need to talk about the the hard points, the the, the hot ticket items, um, maybe a couple of the quick pros and cons of them. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's just say that through the, the teens and 20s, V8s were pretty much relegated to, as you said, boats and mm-hmm. aviation. And then in the car world, very high-end cars. Yeah, it started with the Cadillac around 1912. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chevrolet did, I think, around 1918, if 1916. I remember. 1916. 1916, Yeah, okay. I'm sorry, 1917 was Chevrolet. And uh, it, 16, there's Oldsmobile and... Uh, Another division, or well, they were another division of GM. Make note of that for next year. Next year's wheels in the woods, John. I have stumped so, <laughs> so, so many Chevy guys over the years, and guys who are like heavy into Chevy history. Mm-hmm. If you ask them what year the Chevy V8 came out, they'll tell you 1955 all day long. Interesting. And we're going to talk about the small block Chevy in a minute here, but. In reality, 1916 or 17, you said? Uh, 17 was the note I came across in okay. the Chevrolet Series D. Yeah, and they've got one of those engines at on display at the Henry Ford Museum, I know. Oh, cool. Um, so you'll have to check that out sometime. Yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, the first Chevy V8 engines were complex, and, and a lot of these early teens and 20s engines... The problem was is the cylinder bores were um, separate castings mm-hmm. and you know jugs like a motorcycle would have. Yeah, and then separate cylinder heads. Um, some were even overhead valve. They hmm. they did mess with that. Um, the Will St. Clair Auto Museum up in uh, Marysville, Michigan, mm-hmm. which is the closest auto museum to the Mora. 
Um, they, the Will St. Clair had some overhead valve V8s uh, early oh, on cool. in the 20s. To get there, uh, check the place out. The, the, you know, but the problem was is production cost on these engines. Um, I, I remember reading somewhere at, at one point that the average V8 engine prior to the 32 Ford V8 coming out had something along the lines of uh, 130 different castings that were required to put the engine together. <laughs> um, do you have the note? I know when Ford designed, he didn't come out. That's something else. Ford guys a lot of times will be like, oh, Ford had the first V8. Well, no, Ford did no. not have the first V8. The first large-scale successful production yes. V8. And he is attributed with the first piston in-block design. Mm. And that's the flathead V8. So instead of making the cylinders a separate casting, they put the cylinders inside the block, one casting, simple casting. Um, I want to say it was somewhere in the 50 different casting molds or something that were, that were required for it. See if I can find. It. Like I said, my my notes unfortunately are very very unorganized right now. So that's that's <laughs> okay. That's okay. But um, so I would say number one engine of note for the most influential V8s of all time, especially regarding the off road world, is the Ford Flathead, mm, without a doubt. And now you know a lot of guys will say, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute." I I you know I don't see w- people wheeling with flatheads. The truth is. Prior to the introduction of the Chevy V8 and some other engines, there were a number of adapter companies and a number of people that were swapping the Ford Flathead V8 into old flat fender Jeeps. Hmm. Um, they, a lot of times they had to, because a carburetor, the Stromberg carburetor was very tall. Yeah. They had to cut a hole in the hood and they had to stick the carburetor through the hood. Interesting. Yeah. But it does fit in there and um, hmm. there was a number of people that did that. Um, I'd be neat to see one of those. The the flathead V8 also didn't, um, you know, see a lot of 4x4 use, exception of some of the uh, Marmon Harrington four-wheel drive conversion Ford trucks hmm. and cars. So, you know, it's an honorable mention in the off-road world, but the reality is that through the racing heritage and through the, um, you know, just the car world in general, the Ford Flathead ran from, if I remember right, and once again, I don't have my computer in front of me. You got your notes. I want to say 32 to 52. Is that correct? Uh, see if I can find that real quick here. I said I'm very unorganized with this. I apologize. That's all right. You know, I mean, I know it was early 50s <laughs> when they went to, they replaced it with a Y-block design V8 engine uh, with Ford. And then what they did um, is they actually continued to produce the flathead for the German and French military up into the at least the 1970s. Some people say as late as the 1980s. I believe I remember reading about that was 73. Yeah, and there's actually some discrepancies out there about that because people have found Ford flathead blocks. Uh, they're called the quote-unquote French casting blocks, mm-hmm. um, and they found them with dates into the early 80s. So yeah, so they they probably did continue to produce that engine for a long, long, long time. Somewhere at least, yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving on from the, unless you have something else on the on the Ford Flathead there, not on the top of that. Well, moving on from that, I would say go. You're pointing at me. Yeah, the Ford cars through fifty three production year produced around nineteen seventy by Ford licensees all around the world. There you go. So. In the U.S. or North America, we saw the Ford Flathead for 21 years. Um, And then they're still, to this day, being swapped into things and being rebuilt. Um, In fact, uh, the owner of Number 12 Power Wagon at the museum, Mike Manzak, Mm -hmm. Michael Manzak, he he just purchased an old Ford truck, and he is currently rebuilding a Ford Flathead to to go back in. So people are still tinkering with these today. Mm -hmm. Um, But... um, you know, moving forward, uh, other companies after Ford did the Flathead V8 uh, started doing other V8s. You know, Cadillac continued with them, um, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, all introduced engines. I would say that probably, I don't even say this is arguably, the most influential swappable quote-unquote engine of all time was introduced in 1955, and that is the Chevrolet small block V8. I was going to take a stab and say the Chevy. 
V8? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Chevy V8, when it came out, um, they developed this new process called green sand casting. Mm. And it completely simplified the casting process for being able to create these V8 engines. I've seen some processes or like those how it's made videos on stuff like that. When you a significantly larger engine, that could probably fill most of this uh, studio space here. Oh, yeah. But be, it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was the, the whole sand casting process like that. And Interesting it's, stuff. It's, it's a lost sand casting process where the yeah. sand gets flushed out. And, uh, you know, there, there's videos, like you said, online you can look at. But in 55, um, well, they started producing it late 54, but the design went back a couple of years. General Motors or Chevrolet division of General Motors decided to um, produce their own V8 engine for the first time. They were replacing the straight six, which had been in Chevy since the teens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were going to produce this uh, now mass-produced V8 engine for their cars. Yeah. Uh, Immediately, it took off as a success. Um, Hot rodders, racers saw that you could... um, Put a lot of uh, get a lot of power out of this engine. In fact, in '57, the Rochester fuel injected V8 Chevy engine, which was now 283 cubic inches, this is only three years after it came out in '55, um, was the first uh, mass produced engine to achieve one horsepower per cubic inch. Huh. So, nice. they, in, in engineers prior to that, a lot of them said it was impossible. That, you know, you could not get more horsepower out of an engine higher than the uh, displacement was. Interesting. But you had a 283 uh, cubic inch engine that was now producing 283 horsepower. Hmm. I know a lot of the influence back then in going to the bigger engines was the, the way they were able to make them run a little smoother than some of the straight ones for the more luxury high-end vehicles with that stuff. Of well, the time, I should say. You know, and I guess backing the, the train up there, that was part of the whole reason to go to a V8 engine. Mm-hmm. Um, V8 engines are more compact. They're, they're not as long as an inline yeah. six, inline eight. But, you know, people would say, well, you know, why is eight the magical number? And the answer for that is that a V6, which obviously is a very common engine, mm-hmm. a V4, a V10, all those those other display or those other layouts of engines run. I, I'm not an engineer, but apparently the balancing of them is a little more difficult because yeah. mathematically it doesn't work out right. Where a V8 engine is essentially two four cylinder engines that are working side by side next to each mm-hmm. other harmonically, and a V8 engine can create a very smooth running. Um, through the RPM level, uh, you know, engine. And so V8, you know, a V design for the pistons. And, and you know, we don't need to get into what yeah, the heck it's a all V8 a balance is. factor. It's a balance when factor. They, when they offset them by a certain amount of degrees, it changes the, the balance on a rotating shaft. So you need either more or larger uh, counterweights on the crank to balance that out while it's running. Yes. In a V configuration with the offset, it makes it a lot easier than in a straight line. Yeah, but even the number of cylinders where, like, in a, in a V6, it's mathematically impossible to have a perfectly balanced Correct. V6. Yeah. So a V8, you can you can balance. There's just that enough angles that way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they come out with this small block V8 in 55, and the original one's 265 cubic inches. They bump it up to 283 um, pretty quick. And then over the years, they bump this thing all the way up to 400 cubic inches. Yeah. But the... Some nice beefy power right there. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the most highly used one, though, to this day, and the one they probably produce the most of, is the 350 cubic inch 5.7 liter um, V8 engine. The 400... is that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The 400 had some overheating problems because the piston size had to get so big that it was real thin between the casting was real thin. Makes sense. And um, they tended to overheat. The 350 was just kind of about from the factory, um, even though there's ways to stroke and get that engine bigger, was about the perfect combination. So let me ask you this now. Because I've seen this all over the place. You've got the big block and the small block V8s. What's the difference? Okay. Um, it's literally the physical size of the block. Mm. Um, and the original V8 that came out with the Chevy was the small block V8. 
up until then, there was, there was no designation between small and big block. In 1958, Chevy introduced the 348 W-head motor. The engine block was physically larger than the small block, which they still produced. So people started calling them a small block and a big block engine. Ah, okay. Um, in 65, for at least Chevy, they introduced what eventually became known as the porcupine or the rat motor. Huh. And most people call them a rat motor. But like and it. then the early small blocks were mo- or the small blocks were mouse motors. <laughs> um, they would that was really what became known as the big block, you know. Gotcha. And to this day, the fifty-eight to sixty-four quote-unquote big blocks are usually referred to as a W-head motor. Okay, where sixty-four on was the big block. I've always wondered that because, like I said, I see it everywhere. Yeah, and I just I never knew what it meant. Yeah, the the way everything's physically enlarged essentially yeah. is what it is. And someday I think we need to do like a whole history of the small block Chevy and of the big block Chevy because um, there's actually a lot of really interesting history there. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like um, I was actually just kind of brushing up on the small block earlier today, mm-hmm. and there was a lot amongst GM. And it's really interesting stories of corporate espionage between huh. the various divisions of General Motors all racing to put out uh, a new V8 engine in the mid-50s there. Interesting. And there was, it, there's a lot of... I mean, it's... Yeah, you would yeah. have to do a whole small block episode doing yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, producer Andrew is wagging his time piece at us over there. <laughs> so, I think it's time for us to take a quick break. And uh, we may have something for you when we come back. Uh, or we're going to continue talking about these uh, small blocks. We're going to... We'll see what goes on here. Sounds good. See you in a bit. Hey, it sounds like it's time to swap out that old engine for something better, John. Yeah, man, but I have so much into my trans and transfer case set up already. I don't want to change those two. Sounds like you need to call Quick Draw Brand Adapters. They specialize in conversion bell housings for nearly all diesel and gasoline engines, including the new 2.8R Cummins. You know, I like weird engines, though. I want something different. Then you definitely need to visit quickdrawbrand.com today. They have those hard-to-find parts. They also have used diesel engines available. You can call them at 513-446-9654. Cool, I'll do that. See what they have. Thanks. Welcome back to Wheelin' with Keith and Johnny Orange. Today we are discussing, for episode 32, the V8 engines and their history, their origin, and evolution in the four-wheel drive and automotive world. Yeah, uh, we are, John. Um, before we went to break, we were, uh, and during break, as you know, we were trying to dial a guest. Uh, who, I was going to say, what was that surprise you had for us? Yeah, that was it. We are trying <laughs> to get a hold of this guest, but he um, is not answering the phone right now. I think he's in the middle of something. Hopefully, we can get him on here in a little bit. If not, it might be the next episode. But um, anyways, uh, you know, we were talking about those small blocks and how those became so influential. The small block... Is still produced today, of course, in the form of the LS engine. I never realized that was a small block. It is. Its huh. heritage goes back. It's a completely different engine to the old small block Chevy. The small block Chevy itself ran up to about 2001. Okay. Um, depending on some industrial and, and uh, cabin chassis applications as late as like 09. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like mid-2000s. So I, I have to admit a little bit of ignorance here. And I'll, I'll call myself out in front of everybody listening. Sure. So I, for the last couple of years, you know, I, I'm on Marketplace in a lot of places looking for vehicle parts or I'll see something, you, you know, say. Chevy engine stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a lot of the letters SBC, capital S, small b and C. I always thought that was some kind of brand or some specific variation of the Chevy engine. Mm-hmm. It was only a few days ago I realized it's an acronym for Small Block Chevy. Oh, man, I was going to try to make up something <laughs> funny on the fly, but yes, it is an yeah. acronym for Small Block Chevy. And in and all then... fairness, I never realized it because nobody properly acronymizes it, if that's the word. They spell it wrong. Okay. It should be capital S, capital B, capital C. Yeah, not well, S, I mean, small. Y- we live in an age of people not knowing how to spell and write. And yeah, that's, and that's a problem. Is. But still, in my defense, I never connected the dots. And I'm sitting there at dinner one night, and it just clicked. I'm like, 
I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, no, you're not. But you're not. But um, yeah. So SBC, small block Chevy, yeah. BBC, uh, big block Chevy. Uh, when you're on your dating apps, huh. you want to look for the ones that say BBW. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. So and uh, uh, BBC is only clicking now. Uh, what? Big block Chevy. Aha! Uh-huh, there you go. All right. <laughs> um, wow. I feel so stupid. <laughs> you know, here's the deal though with the small and even the big block Chevy. A lot of people are like, okay, well, why is this thing so popular? Especially the early small block Chevy, which they produced for like 50 years, mm. um, on paper is actually not that good of an engine. I mean, it's a good engine, but mm-hmm. um, the way they Siamese and, and staggered the valves uh, in them, um, not optimal flow rates. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of great ways to fix that without going to really expensive like NASCAR parts. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute. Why Why was this engine? Why did hot rodders and why did swappers pick this out of the uh, the proverbial scrap pile and decide to run this engine as being the one? You know, not only did they make millions of them, but Chevy did something that pretty much no other manufacturer has done since day one. Mm-hmm. From 1955 to today, the bell housing bolt pattern on the back of a Chevy engine is the same. Huh. Small block V8, W series motor, big block V8, LS motor, 4.3 V6, 3.8 Chevy V6. Wow. Iron Duke four cylinder, uh, 230, 260, 292 straight six Chevy. All of those motors have the exact same bell housing bolt pattern at the back of them. That's awesome. It makes them infinitely swappable. Yeah. On top of that, the motor mounts in the first generation small block Chevy from 58 all the way up to like 2000 something um, are the same. The hmm. first couple of years, they didn't have the motor mounts on the side of the blocks like our Napco at the museum. Mm-hmm. The reason I knew that was not originally, it does not have a 56 engine in it, is it's got the provisions for a motor mount on the side of the block. Interesting. Where uh, 55, 56, 57 didn't have that. They had motor mounts mounted to the front of the block. 58, they Hmm. started putting the motor mounts on the sides of the block. But here's what they did. They still put the provisions on the front of the blocks all the way up into the 2000s. So, like, my 55 Chevy that I have, Mm -hmm. I have a 55 Chevy Bel Air. First year of the Chevy V8. I can take a, which is the case in this case, I have a 90s pickup truck engine. (laughs) Bolted in place using the factory motor mounts. Nice. In my 55 Chevy. It's just, it's it was universal. I love that. So I love the idea of being able to swap anything like that, though, as you know. Yeah. It's that's just awesome. And not having to buy anything crazy special to make it work. I love it. <laughs> exactly. And so that that's pretty much the what is attributed to the small block and big block Chevy. Hmm. I mean, they were good, strong, reliable motors, mm-hmm. but they had their issues like many other oh, designs does. do. Everything does. Um, getting away from the GM motors for a while, or at least from the Chevy motors, uh, I don't think, unless you have something off the top of your head, I don't think there's another... I'm not saying they're bad. There's mm-hmm. tons of great, great GM V8 engines, but I don't think there's another GM V8 engine that is really as important as the small block V8, and yeah. by extension, the big block V8. Isn't the... And I could be wrong on this, but isn't the... It's one of the Chevy V8s that they built into a diesel, wasn't it? A very, uh, very poor diesel, as I understand by everybody who complains about it. No, that was actually an Oldsmobile engine. Oh, okay. That was the Oldsmobile 5.7 um, gasoline engine gotcha. that they redesigned into a diesel engine. The first couple of years, they were garbage. The very mm-hmm. last couple of years, the, what they call the DX blocks, where they put extra ribbing in the block and stuff. Okay. It actually got to be a pretty good little engine, but huh. they had such a bad reputation by that time that people didn't buy them. So I believe it. That makes and, more sense. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, that's a good honorable mention, John, because that's not necessarily the most influential diesel V8 of all time, mm-hmm. but it is the first mass-produced passenger car slash light truck V8 diesel that was ever used. 
I did not know is that. Is that 5.7 Oldsmobile diesel? It came out in really? 79, 78 or 79, right in there, late 70s. I just, I've heard about them. I never understood enough about them to really know anything, apparently. Yeah, like we said, they were yeah. basically a reverse-engineered um, gasoline engine. Hmm. You can actually take a lot of the parts and swap them between the gas I've and the diesel. I've heard that. I've heard that part. Um, but um, that engine there is what got GM's foot in the door for putting diesel engines in their pickup trucks. Nice. And eventually they decided decided instead of designing their engines in-house to have Detroit Diesel, which was a GM company at the mm-hmm. time, to design the engines for them. And then they came out with the 6.2, the 6.5, and, yeah. and eventually continued on with that. I know there, there's a number of race car engines, too, that are built. You mentioned Detroit Diesel. Using the blowers from the Detroit Diesels on some of the gas V8s. Yes, um, most notably the 671. Yeah. So if you hear of, um, like with a gas V8 engine, you hear of somebody running a 671 blower or an 871 blower, Mm -hmm. that blower originally came off a two-stroke Detroit diesel engine. And they're massive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it was either the 671 series or the... And I would like to actually do a whole uh, podcast um, on some of the Detroits. And I think the most appropriate one might be Unless we have another reason, if we're going to play with numbers, maybe episode 53. Okay. Because that was the smallest of the Detroit's two-stroke engines. Isn't that the, one of the models we have at the, the Mora, too? Isn't yeah. that a 6V53? It's a 6V53. Yeah. So that might be a, a good time for us to do for episode 53, unless something else comes up. Yeah, but, I like it. See if we uh, remember. <laughs> moving, moving over to... What do you want to do? You want to do chronological or you want to do more important? We like chronological usually, don't we? Yeah, playing numbers. Playing numbers. Um, so in your mind, I'm going to see if you can guess this. Well, uh, we already established in prior episode I'm terrible with math. So okay, all right. If all this right. is math, this is not I mean, math. I'll do my best. But <laughs> there was a V8 engine that came out between the Ford Flathead in 32 and the Chevy small block in 55, hmm. that is probably, I don't want to say it's more influential, but it is argumentatively more legendary and epic than the small block V8. And it came up hmm. prior to the small block V8. Any guesses as to what V8 engine that would be? I have one, but can you give me a hint, see if I'm on the right track? <laughs> well, I mean, if you got one... if you one, say vroom, vroom, it doesn't count. <laughs> no, it's not a Mazda. Oh, that's not where I was going, but... <laughs> okay. Hmm. Tell me your guess, and then if you don't got it, I'll give you a hint. I'm probably wrong, but I'll throw out, is it a Hemi? It is the Hemi. <laughs> hey, there you go. So, the Hemi... I'm done good. <laughs> the Hemi V8 engine um, was a Chrysler design. Mm -hmm. Now it is not necessarily the very first hemispherical combustion chamber engine. The hemispherical combustion chamber is when you have this dome shaped combustion chamber in the head, spark plug in the center, usually the valves on either side. Mm. Um, the one that really developed that technology, I don't know who came out with historically the very first hemispherical combustion chamber chamber, but the first one to really developed that design and put a lot of effort into it was Chrysler. I never realized that's what it was. Now I always thought Hemi was just a name they gave it. I didn't It's a hemispherical combustion. I'm very chamber. obviously not that knowledgeable on a lot of these kind of engines, but I never that makes a lot more sense. Oh well, here here's the cool <laughs> thing about the Hemi though. So the Hemi was originally designed by Chrysler as an airplane engine during huh. World War II. Okay. The problem we had, World War II, the Germans were absolutely kicking our butts Mm -hmm. with their Luftwaffe uh, airplanes, um, which had, I forgot how many cylinders those were and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but we couldn't figure out why their engines were so superior. We found out actually towards the end of the war that they were using nitrous oxide. Hmm. That's a whole whole other thing there. Interesting. But... Um, we decided to try to build these high horsepower engines, and Chrysler knew that one of the ways they could do it, because Chrysler built a lot of engines for tanks and things like that during yeah. the war, they developed the hemispherical combustion chamber engine. Problem is, it only got to be tested in very limited amounts, mm-hmm. and then the war ended. Bummer. 
So it not, was not not the bummer of the war ended, bummer of the testing process. Yeah. So it was designed. Now follow me here, John. Mm-hmm. It was designed by Chrysler to try to beat the Nazis. Huh. To try to beat. Well, all right. Huh. Let me just to be a little more political. It was designed by Chrysler to try to beat the Germans. Interesting. Okay. Now follow me here. So the the Hemi engine. Came out, I believe, in '51. Okay, but they actually were testing it on the road as early as '49. They actually had hmm. a lot of, um, um, you know, time and R and D go into this. Uh, the first Hemi engines were absolutely massive. Yeah, yeah, uh, very wide, heavy engines, weighed as much as a Cummins diesel. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were able to pull a lot of power out of them. These engines breathed like no other. They yeah. they could just. Air came in, went out. Those hemispherical combustion chamber cylinder heads were, you know, they were just big lungs. They were just in and out and in yeah. and out. That's, you know, they were, they were fantastic for that. Hmm. But, um, you know, why is it so legendary? Well, immediately drag racers started going for the, oh, of the, the big engines because they could put blowers on them. They could put, um, they responded very well to nitromethane fuel, things like that. They Was could, that used that early? Yeah. In wow. the 50s, yeah, they could they could really. Um, I thought that was a newer thing. No, no, that was huh. uh, it was banned for a number of years actually. Maybe that's why I'm thinking that then. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> um, so the Hemi has gone through a number of designs. Mm-hmm. So it, the original design, which is always called the early Hemi, ran up till 1958. The very last year of it, they had fuel injection available. Very rare, but it was available. Yeah. Um, the early Hemi was available in Dodge, Chrysler, and DeSoto vehicles. Hmm. Um, they didn't see a lot of off-road use, per se, a little bit here and there, but not much. Um, but that design then eventually became the 426 Hemi, Okay. Um, which came back out in, I want to say, 62 or 63, and ran all the way up until um, about 1972. And that was an option in, like, the Chargers and Challengers yeah. that it was an Okay. Yeah, and that was a massive engine. I've seen one of those. That is huge. And then Chrysler killed off that Hemi mm. for a number of years until, get this, the Germans bought Chrysler. Interesting. Daimler-Benz buys Chrysler, hmm. and they say, let's recharge this engine that was designed to beat us back in the day. I like it. So if you and can't... then let's put it in the... You're not following me here. Nope. <laughs> let's take this engine that was designed to beat us. Okay. And let's put it in the Jeep that was also designed to beat us. <laughs> so I took the Germans... To take the engine that was designed to beat them and the vehicle that was designed to beat them and put the two together. I like it. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Is that where we get the phrase, if you can't beat them, join them? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So um, the Hemi engine is still in production today. Um, I believe 2007 or 8 was the very first year that the new Hemi came out with 5.7 liters. And now, of course, they've got it, you know, all the way up to I what don't is it, the seventy-two or something. car or something they call it? Uh, yeah, um, Demon. That, and, Demon, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. That thing's insane. Um, and seven hundred something horsepower. A friend of mine has uh, works for a company, and they got to test drive one of the cars with it. <laughs> yeah, they've got some power, don't they? Yeah, and they they got to you know my my comment has always been I don't like you know traction control or ABS in vehicles. He you need it, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was saying, if you turn that off, you will burn your tires up. You yeah. sit there and they spin. Yeah. You stomp it and you are gone mm-hmm. in this thing. And he was telling me where they were test driving it. And I've spoken to some people who witnessed this and oh, yeah. it's sweet. Well, it's sweet. As you know, the now what they call the third generation Hemi mm. um, is swapped even in Wranglers. Brutes. I've seen um, a lot of different swap kits available for those yeah. things, and just a lot of people doing it, it's, which is awesome. It's lightweight. You can produce yeah. a lot of power from it. Um, Imagine ba- it's still fairly expensive, though. <laughs> you know what's kind of interesting is um, most of the early Hemis, the early Hemis actually had two different bell housing setups in the back of them, but mm. most of the early ones used the same pattern, huh. and then 
The third gen new Hemi mm-hmm. uses the same pattern as well. They actually, the first and the third gen Hemi have, you can swap to the same transmissions, but the second gen was the hmm. big block Chrysler pattern. Huh. The 426. So Interesting. Yeah, just oddball stuff. Well, so hey, I know you can get a lot of those as crates, uh, crate swaps, too. You can. I've seen the listings and just I've read builds that uh, they swapped them with a crate Hemi. Mm-hmm. which is awesome that, that you can actually get them and order them like that. That's seriously cool. Well, you know, John, I think there's at least one more. Um, we've talked about the big three influential engines, which I would say pretty much are the Hemi, the Chevy V8, and the Ford Flathead. There's oh, probably at least one more, um, but those are the top three legendary V8s of all yeah. time. Um, let's talk about one more after we come back from break. Sounds good. <laughs> Tis the season for the annual History of Christmas Tree Walk in Algonac, Michigan. There are 16 days to choose from this year. Visit December 6th through 9th, 13th through 16th, 20th through 23rd, or 27th through 30th to see over 200 trees displayed inside a gorgeous 9,500 square foot log home. For more details, go to thechristmaswalk.com or call 810-794-2300. For fun food to put you in a festive mood, visit Foxfire Fixin's restaurant in marine city before or after the walk what i'm getting into my like you know my method acting nicholas cage face here john i'm I'm trying i gotta welcome back people (laughs) with the you know the the utmost of sincerity here uh so anyways uh yeah no no more cowbell (laughs) what do you you, uh what do you want to um i mean we have an engine we want to talk about you were saying you wanted to mention maybe uh more news or just some topics. I know we haven't really touched on any of that today. Okay. Uh, first off, I want to give a shout out to Jeremy O'Brien, our newest member on 4x4 Talk and fan listener of Whelan. Uh, I know he's flying a sticker on his uh, Jeep XJ. Oh, he so, is, huh? Yep. Greetings to him. Spoke to him cool. the other day. So hope, you, hope you're liking the show. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. that's how he heard about us. Yeah. So. <laughs> Greetings. Hope you're enjoying everything you've heard so far and uh, haven't peeled that sticker off yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then I don't know if you'd like to give an introduction to our new museum piece. You were there the day we received it. Oh, uh, yeah. Temporary display. You, thank you for reminding me. I almost forgot. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was in the office down there at the Mora the other day, and uh, I got a couple of those uh, new K-Cups that have the uh, the donut shop blend. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. That's uh, and that's that's what we have on display out there. Oh no! Well, I mean, <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Oh, okay, you're talking about the display. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, <laughs> coffee. I'm lifetime member, <laughs> um, Trail Leaders Club member, uh, Ed Henry, uh, brought down his custom sand rail tube buggy. Um, I, I want to call it a sand rail, although mm-hmm. I, I guess it really is. It's a sand rail. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about the, the rig before on the podcast. He does not plan on doing any more major trips with it for several months, mm-hmm. and so it is on temporary display down at the Mara, uh, kind of front and center. Um, awesome rig. It's a great opportunity for people to see what a sandrail looks like up and close. And, and a full custom chassis design, too. It, true. So that that's something a little different. Everything that we have in the museum is a factory at some point or another vehicle. True. This, the only thing factory about this is the engine. Almost everything else is custom built, which is cool. The engine's not factory either, John. Well, not factory to that, but well, factory I, in a I car. don't know what that thing is titled <laughs> as. I typically... I don't remember, but I know I've discussed it. Usually sand rails are, typ- are typically uh, titled as a Volkswagen of some sort. I know it's not an, as a Volkswagen. Oh, it's it, not. It's either like an assembled title... Or I think it might actually be titled as a Sandro. I, I can ask him. Okay. So. All right. Um, yeah, because there's there's really no factory parts. Even the <laughs> even the quote unquote factory engine's got a you know turbo on it. Yeah, factory turbo. It's not a factory turbo. It is. And nothing hooked up to it is the intercoolers aftermarket. Oh, well, the all whole right. intake exhaust systems aftermarket. All right, but fair it enough. is it's a factory turboed uh, EcoTech. Gotcha. So. Um, pretty cool uh, setup that he's got there. And I know he is planning to bring the uh, the paddle tires down too. He's yeah. got to put them back on the wheels, and we're going to swap those out. He did say as well that um, he is totally okay with like kids sitting in it and getting a picture in it and stuff. So cool. Um, it's one of those hands-on displays, which mm-hmm. is really really nice oh, to yeah. have down at the museum. So if you're coming down during the Christmas walk or anything like that um, to the Mora. 
uh, you need to hop in and get a picture behind uh, the wheel of a really cool sand rail. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful rig. That's oh. for sure. Very fast. <laughs> Um, I don't have too much else in museum news except for last Sunday was one of the busiest Sundays we've had in a long time. I don't know if it was just in the air or if people mm-hmm. are hearing about us more. Whatever the case may be, um, we had people in and out of the mora all day long. Uh, it was really nice to have you know that kind of traffic. So very cool. Uh, you know, some days are slow. Uh, last Sunday was not. We're currently open ten to three every Sunday at eight oh six one Marsh Road in Clay Township, Michigan. We can open by appointment for other times as mm. well. But those are our posted hours when we're always there. So, and we'll be open. Well, obviously, we'll be there during the Christmas tree walk next month. Yes, as well. yes, yes, we will. Um, was there anything else, John? We want to get back to our V8s. A minor update on Project XJ. Yeah, do that. <laughs> uh, what do we got going on there, buddy? Not a whole lot uh, other than just some uh, reorganizing in the garage. Spent three hours digging parts out I forgot I had. I uh, still can't find other parts I know I had. Okay. I've uh, misplaced things that I don't know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> well, that happens. Yeah. So just... Uh, I just kind of a comment. Periodically, go through, clean your stuff up, reorganize as needed, so you don't lose everything. So that would make sense. Yeah. Um, you want some updates on Project Excursion? Sure. Um, the insurance company and I have been fighting back and forth. Uh, we have finally gotten to a point where they're going to. They're not going to repair it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am buying it back from the insurance company, essentially. Okay. Um, but it's, it's enough where it's going to pay off the majority of what I owe on it. Yes, I owe money on it. Um, it's a nicer excursion. Uh, I'd actually taken money against it to do some repairs to the house at one point. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they're doing that, but project excursion has gained a new special accessory. Would that be an accessory? I don't know. It's, it's gained something new in the last couple of days. Hmm. Working parking brakes? Uh, no. <laughs> um, it uh, it now smells like many of my coworkers. Yeah. Um, you know, I always joke with them when they come back from lunch or whatever. I'm like, you know, in lovely Michigan where uh, marijuana is legal. Ah. <laughs> uh, and I say to them, did you get sprayed by a skunk? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I ran over, unfortunately, rest his soul, a skunk a couple of days ago and completely flattened the little bugger. You're a horrible person. I know I am. (laughs) And the entire inside and outside of Project Excursion right now reeks of skunk. Um, Hmm. Everything in it, my respirator for work the other day, which was inside of a sealed bag I pulled out and put on my face, and Mm -hmm. it was was like I had my my, uh, face in a skunk's rear end. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if if that part of the skunk got like, like smeared underneath the excursion or mm-hmm. what but i mean it was a pretty good yeah my my dog got sprayed in the face like right in his mouth and face once and for about three weeks i mean we we washed him we had some skunk smell killer stuff mm-hmm. that we washed him with like three times oh, that was a long couple of weeks yeah yeah and i uh, one of my uh prior jobs out in emily city was a video production company uh we had one that crawled up under one of the vents under the building and it died there. Mm, we didn't yummy. know that. We thought it was living there. And, yeah, I mean, the smell was so bad the first day, your eyes are tearing up. By the second day, you're there, you're like, all right, it takes about an hour to get used to. By the second and third week, you walk in, you're like, yep, still there. And mm-hmm. then within two minutes, you don't even notice it. And I remember him, to, the owner, telling me the day he went to clean it out, you know, to kind of scare it out. He saw it, and he poked it with a stick. He was halfway under the building poking at it, and it didn't move. Oh. So he's like, uh-oh. Yeah. So he, he did it again, and it didn't move, and then he realized it had unfortunately wedged its head in a place it couldn't get out, and unfortunately, that's where it ended. Yeah, yeah. So got rid of that, and within about two days, everything all cleared out and was fine. Okay. It was weird, though. You go in, and you don't smell it, and you're like, something's not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Skunk smell. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. I, I've actually got a ton of skunk stories, but yeah. I think I'm. I think maybe I'll save a few of those for the Patreon app after show. Sounds good. This time, um, if I remember it. But 
Uh, back to our topic at hand, the influential V8s. Uh, mm. We mentioned the Chevy V8, the 32, well, the flathead V8 Ford, and, of course, the Chrysler Hemi. So each of the big three has um, come out with an engine that has been very, very influential oh, yeah. for the hot rodding and the off-road world. Um, one engine that I want to get, and I want to kind of wrap up this on engines, or at least on the V8 engines, mm-hmm. that I think... Um, gets a bit of a honorable mention of sorts. Um, and even before I mention that, you know, our list doesn't really have any foreign V8s. True. The Japanese and well, we, we other, talked about that one in France, nineteen oh two. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, pretty much V8s have been an American phenomenon for many years, and only only in the last like decade or so have some of the Japanese manufacturers really started mm-hmm. to develop uh, V8 technology. So we most of the influential V8s of all time are American V8s, hmm. and that would even go along with. Um, and we're talking about gasoline V8s in this yeah. episode because there are some diesels out there worth mentioning. That, that could easily be a whole other thing to itself. It, <laughs> it could be, um, but the Ford Coyote engine. Heard the, of Ford, it. the Ford Coyote engine, I, I don't know a ton about, but its engine family goes back to the Ford Modular design. Did they design. make that to compete with the Roadrunner? They did. No. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it goes back to the Modular design that came out in uh, the early 90s, and it would replace the aging Ford small block and big block V8 designs. They okay. went to uh, this mod motor design which has now been redesigned into the Coyote platform. Um, like I said, I don't know a ton about it. I haven't tinkered with them myself. Mm-hmm. But I have noticed that the Coyote is getting to be very quickly one of a very, very popular swap engine, especially in early Broncos mm-hmm. and even in some JKs and things like that. Now, I know we've talked about that one with uh, Mr. Chad from Quick Draw Brand. I know he makes adapters for it. Is that a very adapter dependent, or you said it's modular? Can you swap it into those older models like that? Well, so it has the Ford modular pattern on the back okay. of it, which means that any of the modern quote unquote '90s and newer Ford automatic and manual transmissions are going to bolt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, as you know, Ford has not been really known for building great automatic transmissions yeah <laughs> um so chad did step in and i'm glad you mentioned that i was hoping to get him on the podcast this time uh he's been real busy with some of the big projects he's got going on mm-hmm. um he does he did develop a bell housing series to go to the nv4500 to the okay. tremec to all that behind the modular motor in fact yeah. um that bronco you mentioned uh that jay leno's building that they had at sema and that chad got to meet jay leno mm-hmm. with that as a ford modular motor with a quick draw bell housing going to a tremec uh five speed i remember the last part i remember the engine part cool yeah um so that ford modular motor is you know it's history it's been a, a two cam design it's been a four cam design hmm. um is is it truly influential? I don't know. I'd I'd call it a strong runner up mm-hmm. because that engine right now, more so than probably any of Ford's engines at least, has seen use in just about every motorsport there is. They're hmm. using it in everything from um, you know NASCAR style vehicles, IndyCar style vehicles, monster trucks, uh, off road racing. Um, it truly has become so. I, I almost want to say the Ford modular engine family mm-hmm. is is a pretty as a builder's engine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're fairly lightweight. They they deal with high RPMs mm-hmm. very well, and they're they're pulling some big horsepower out of them. Yeah, um, strong contenders to the uh, GMLS and the, oh, the sure. new Hemi's today. Pretty much, you know, your your big three today are building. The mod motor, or, or the the Coyote engine, the uh, the new Hemi, and the LS, LS motor. Yeah, yeah. right. Like LS seven now, or something like that. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of numbers. Yeah, and there's so many other cool V8s, and we're going to oh, talk yeah. about other ones in the future. But you know, it doesn't mean that these are the only engines that you should ever swap into no. a rig. Um, you know, yeah, I swapped a five cylinder. Yeah, you did. Yeah, the Mercedes five cylinder. <laughs> yeah. It's just there's. 
you know, these are the ones that other engines were designed off of. These are yeah. the ones that were so common that early on adapter companies made adapters to go into Jeeps mm-hmm. and into other trucks. Extremely influential in the evolution of the technology. Yes, a doubt. exactly. Um, and I think the majority, the big two really are the Ford Flathead and the Chevy Small Block. Oh, easily. You easily. Know, you know, the, the Hemi um, has been... Up there in the legendary status, but unfortunately for a lot of people, the earlier ones, the price point wasn't there. Very expensive. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the new third gen Hemi now is is significantly cheaper. You can pull mm-hmm. them out of wrecked Dodge Rams and Dakotas and yeah. or not Dakotas, uh, Durangos. You can out of three hundreds, they're putting the Hemi in everything. Oh yeah. So you know, unlike in the early days where it was only in the big luxurious or the mm-hmm. big muscle cars. So now you don't have to just say LS swap it. You could coyote swap it or hemi swap it. Yeah, no, I really <laughs> want to mess with one of those coyotes someday. That would um, be cool. You know, I haven't thought about it. Like, as much as I love my diesel excursion, someday I'm probably going to have to replace the excursion if mm-hmm. I keep another one because that one's getting, well, it's been totaled and it's rusty. <laughs> and it's, um, if I was going to build a gasser excursion, um, how much fun would it be to build a, an excursion with one of those like 700 something horsepower boss uh, coyote engines? That would be sweet. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I like it. You know, I like it. So we'll have to see, but burn rubber in from 44s. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, John, um, you know, there you go. Uh, this is not a comprehensive V8 thing. We're not, oh, we no. didn't get into a lot of technology on them. If, if we started going with specs and the full spectrum of what's available, we'd probably be here till the end of the year. Exactly. <laughs> I want to put out a challenge uh, to our listeners a little bit. I'd love for them to go on 4x4 Talk and tell us, the first V8 engine that you built or the one that really, like, that you want to swap into something, mm. you know? So tell us, like, what's your favorite V8 of all time? Um, you know, is it the small block? I mean, block? I prefer my V8, you know, kind of gold from the fridge. Maybe oh, yeah. Rocks. Is it low-sodium V8? Is it, yeah. you know? <laughs> is <laughs> Only it, if it's from out of state. Is it spicy hot V8? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, um... But uh, you know, is it? Did you want? Do you want a Hemi? Do you want a small block? Do you want a big block? Do you want yeah. a flathead? Or you know, are you that oddball guy that really drools over a four fifty five Buick or a five hundred Cadillac or you know these other V eight engine designs? You know, if money was no object and you mm. had to just go pick a V eight of anything out of history and jam it into hmm. your rig. You know, what do you want to run? That's a good question. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, what's your favorite? I mean, John, what's yours? Oh, man, I I couldn't even begin to think on it. Probably a Hemi just because of the, I just like them. <laughs> well, they are cool. I mean, yeah. I know. mean, if I actually sat down and look at numbers, I don't even know where I'd start, to be perfectly honest with you. To me, I think it depends on what I was going to build. True. If I was building a vintage... Um, 50s and older rig i'd want to do something with a flathead yeah um if i was doing a 50s and newer i would be between that hemi and that coyote i I like my chevy v8s but the problem is is you know i i only worked as a full-time mechanic in my life for nine years i Mm -hmm. guess it's a long time but um i've fully rebuilt at least 20 or 30 small block chevys a couple big blocks Mm -hmm. um you know, turn one engine down. I grew up in the '90s and <laughs> the '80s and '90s when literally every car in Hot Rod magazine and every truck in Peterson's Four Wheel and Off Road had a small block Chevy in it. <laughs> I got so burned out on the small block Chevys. Yeah, and I have transferred that burnoutness on those engines to the LS series. Although I really, really expect what the LSs are doing. Absolutely, and that's, you know, you mentioned everybody does it. That's why I personally, I used the phrase a little while ago, I hate the phrase LS swap it. Well, yeah. Because everybody does it. Yeah. There's no uniqueness to it. Yeah, you can make a cool build, maybe something nobody's done before, but everybody swaps those into everything. Come on, do something different. Do something original. I just saw on Facebook guys swapping one into a Bobcat. All right, that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. There's a guy who's just finishing up a build, swapping one to a bobcat. Whatever. All right, all right, that's that's awesome. That's well, different. <laughs> we finally have in our family the first 
to stay. I mean, I have owned one LS before. It was a van that I flipped. Um, what I, happened? No, I flipped. I purchased <laughs> it and flipped it. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. You just got really mad one day. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I have never owned for any length of time an LS engine, but with Preston's Z71 project, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about here in the future a little more, um, that is going to be and it's a 5.3 um, LS motor. I'm going to learn a little bit about them. I, I've helped buddies tinker with them a little bit, but, um, you know, obviously there's no reason to swap it out right now. Now, yeah. of course, if he blows up that thing, maybe we'll put something else cooler in there, but, you it know. It works. We, 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 you and I could start a whole wheel and thing, um, swap out, or what, not, well, LF swap the world is what people say, right? Yeah. They swap yeah. everything. So we need to come up with, uh, you know, replace the LS with this, you know, hashtag or whatever. I like know? it. You know? We'll come up with it. Yeah, we'll figure <laughs> we'll out something. Out. Like, yeah. let's get rid of the LS. So. <laughs> but, uh, you know, great respect for everything they're doing. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, on that note, to if you're interested in seeing the inner workings of a V-Engine design um, at the Museum of Off-Road Adventure, we do have a very, very cool display. It's not actually a V8. It's a V6. Mm. But we have a, as Johnny Orange mentioned here, the Detroit 6V53 cutaway engine that will show you all of the inner workings of at least a two-stroke V8 engine. That's seriously cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Oh, so yeah. if you ever get to the Morrow, make sure you you know wander over to the corner where that thing is and check that out. But, For sure. John, what else you got, buddy? Nothing else I can think of. No. No. All right, man. Do your thing. Thanks for listening, and have a good one, everybody.